It's very simple. You got to believe. That's it. You got to believe. And I've taken that into uh, all my various ventures, places that I've worked and all that. And before you know it, everyone was believing in what they were doing. Welcome to the Good Around Us podcast. Here we share stories of people spreading good in their communities. I'm your host, Stephanie Keeley. Ron Porkowski describes his life as one of many changes, blessed by marrying the right person right off the bat. Through his career in retail, his family moved around the U.S. and gained experiences and many friends from each place they lived. At 81 years of life, he has five children, eight grandchildren, and two great-grands. Ron is devoted to finding a cure for Alzheimer's, honoring the legacy and caring spirit of his wife, Carol. This may be a familiar story for you, or perhaps it is something you haven't yet experienced personally. Wherever you find yourself, I know you will absorb Ron's words, his story and determination, and it will fill your heart. Here's Ron. Hi, Ron. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining me. My pleasure. Looking forward to this. Me too. Me too. So you have devoted your life to the work of Alzheimer's and dementia research and finding a cure. Tell us about why. What's your story? That goes back to 2011. Uh, at that time, my wife wife of the, was uh, going through some memory problems and uh, and I kind of wrote it off as well we're getting older Carol you know don't worry about it you know and uh, and then the kids started saying dad I got three birthday cards or or uh, my son said dad I saw mom going the wrong way on a one-way street and uh, I said well there's a divider there so it could be confusing and that and See, I was in denial. So finally, when she got her annual physical, I told the doctor about the memory thing. And she gave her just a quick test in that. She said, Ron, I think maybe we ought to have Carol see a neurologist. So I didn't know any neurologists, but I had a friend that we were on a lot of committees and boards together. And she was with the University of Kentucky Philanthropy. So I called her. I said, Lisa, here's what I need. She said, what's going on? I told her about Carol Nat, And I said, I got three neurologist names. So I just uh, need to know who do you think is best? And she says, I'll call you back in five minutes. And she called back and she said, uh, I've got you an appointment with Dr. Jike at Sanders Brown. And uh, tomorrow at 10 o'clock, we went down and uh, and he's an imposing man, about six foot four, big smile on his face, big man. And uh, and in five minutes, he had captured Carol's total faith and belief. And and he said, Carol, we're just going to go through and spend the morning and we're going to ask you some questions and maybe give you a couple tests in that just to brush you up in that. And she laughed and went all along. And by the time we got done uh, with those visits that uh, we found out that Carol's in early stages of Alzheimer's. And that's when I first got involved then with Alzheimer's. And then we both made up our mind we'd be part of their research group, which means that when we pass, they will look at our brain. <laughs> I cheated them. They'll never find mine. 
And uh, anyway, uh, we went ahead and did that. And then she's been under the care of Dr. Jaika since 2011. Uh, she's gone through some random tests, tried serums. Uh, one of them really is, they're gonna come out with it that is, or they have already about a year ago, uh, that will slow down the progress of, uh, uh, of the dementia and, and uh, itself. But uh, uh, it was too late for Carol to take it by the time that it passed all the tests and that. Uh, but I got a call from Dr. Jack and he said, just tell Carol that she was a big part and instrumental in being part of this test that it will help someone else. So from that time on, we've been involved with Sanders Brown and as Carol's disease progressed, I said, whatever I can do to help. And we both did. In fact, we, we were asked by a local TV station to do, they were doing a part on, uh, on Alzheimer's. And in the part at that time was just because you have Alzheimer's doesn't mean that uh, your life is over. They showed Carol at the, uh, I work with the Lexington Legends. They showed her at the ballpark, helping out the retail store when she would go in, they'd give her little jobs to do. And then it showed her at the bowling alley. And when they filmed that, she got a strike. And, and Carol, at, when she was at her best, was a 162 average. And uh, I never went to bowl with her because she always beat me. And then uh, they also showed when she's in the gym and it said it just because you have Alzheimer's, there's other things you can do to support it. And uh, and that's what we did. And that's that's kind of been our viewpoint, because when I asked Carol, do you want to do this? She said, well, it'll help someone. I said, yeah, yeah, it will. She said, well, let's do it. You know, so uh, that's that was her attitude all the way through this disease. So that's why I am where I am today. You both have a real heart for helping others, doing what you can to help others. And ju just for the information, uh, Carol did pass last year, last March, uh, after a 10-year bout, she finally, uh, she finally passed. And, uh, uh, but she's in heaven. Hopefully, she'll put in a good word for me. Uh, I need all the help I can get. So. Oh, I'm I'm sure she's watching out for you and putting in all the good words. Might be payback time. <laughs> Share a little more about Sanders Brown, the Center on Aging. What does it do and how is it so impactful? Sanders Brown itself, the dementia, Alzheimer's, more people die from that than from breast cancer and prostate cancer put together. And, uh, that is totally unknown. And what they do is it's a research center that attaches itself and meets the clients. And then depending on where that individual is in their disease, they then set up their program to continue to test them on an annual basis, but also if there's any medications, if there's any trial basis in that, that they will be part of the test group in order to find the cure for this disease. And they've been working on this since 1980s. And uh, there is a Dr. Mark Sperry at, with the university that first founded, uh, found the, um, the Alzheimer's disease itself, and they've been working ever since that. Uh, so basically what they try to do is to bring the people that also care for this person, 
like in my case, the family, and they have social workers there. And uh, when I first found out Carol had Alzheimer's, I said, okay, that at least we discovered what it is. Now, uh, what medicine can I get? You know, what should I do in order to get this cured? And then we get on with it. I'm, I'm just, that's the way I attack it is by attacking it. And, you know, well, okay, let's fix Carol. Well, in time, I found that there is at the present time, no hope for cure. That it was one, it took me three years to accept that Carol, the disease of Alzheimer's and what happened in, and in finding out more and more of this information. And then I was the primary caregiver and this goes back to 2011 and for about four or five years, it was fine. She, you know, we could go to social events. No one ever knew that there was a problem. At times she acted up a little bit, but they gave me this little card that I would hand, hand to the, the, her friends and or to a waiter or something. And it said, uh, I apologize, my wife has Alzheimer's. And immediately everyone then from, you know, they just handle it properly, her close friends. We decided, we made a decision to be open with this, to let people know what is going on. One, they could see that and see how it relates to maybe some of their friends and relatives. The other part is it just made our life easier so they didn't think, oh boy, what a is, excuse me, but you know, and <laughs> And that's not really the case, it's the disease. And it just took time when, when this disease progressed and that, that uh, I learned and, and was taught by Sanders Brown and, and, and their staff that she's in her own world now. She's in, in ours. If she got mean to me, if she was throwing things and all that, um, that wasn't Carol. And, and there were some sane moments at times, and you just you just live for those moments. But as this advanced, it, it gets further and further away, and uh, and then she's just totally lost. That someone has to be with her at all times, or or she's going in the wrong home, or or, or she's uh, she may uh, she even tried to attempt to commit suicide, and. It, it was the things that are not normal because Carol was the nicest person in the world. I mean, we'd go to Kroger's and she'd go up to the lady that was sweeping the floors or, and she'd say, thank you. We, we appreciate what you do and that and give them a hug. You know, that was the Carol that everybody knew. And this other person uh, was, she was in our own world. Uh, she continued to recognize me, a couple of the kids, but if you hadn't seen her recently, uh, she couldn't remember at all uh, who you were. And, uh, uh, and that's the hard part to accept. The life of the caregiver is what I've been trying to work with also, because there are a lot of people who don't understand this like I did. Mm -hmm. uh, it took me three years to really figure out, wait a minute. So she sends three birthday cards, big deal. And instead of saying, Carol, Carol, why did you do this? You just say, gee, they got their birthday card and you, and you leave it go. Mm -hmm. Carol was always right because she, that's the world she's in. So for her, she is right. And, and you don't try to confront it is, is a hard thing to learn. And then what happens too, is that when you get, 24 seven watching all the time, 
that you start to lose yourself. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and that's when my friends and my family came up and said, dad, you've got to put her in a home. And of course we said, we'll always take care of each other. And, and that was impossible. And they said, dad, you're going to die before mom does, you know, and, and they were right. Uh, because I, I was just absolutely uh, exhausted and, and I couldn't even sleep. You know, I'd jump up like that if I heard a, a noise or, you know, just to make sure mm -hmm. she's okay and that. And that that was hard. So the caregiver's life uh, gets easier when they understand what everything's going and accept the fact that they also need help. Mm -hmm. so, that's, so I know... I, I know putting her into a um, care facility was one of the hardest things. The worst thing. You've had yeah. to do, um, you know, because of that promise you made to each other. And you feel guilty. Mm -hmm. you know, that's the hard part. Uh, yeah. But tell me, how did it, did it, did it get better? What, you know, In what was time, the result there? It took about really the first month that she's there, they don't want you to come and see her because there's a big word in this whole disease and it's called routine. Mm -hmm. And once they're set in their routine, then they're okay. Well, her routine was, was with me and my routine. So I had to disappear from that act and it took about a month and they said, come on, let's try this, you know, and we went over, but she went several months trying to get out of there. Of course, she couldn't. But in time, she's surrounded by people who are similar to her. So they form their own world. So that uh, it, uh, it took a while. But I would say after about six months, then a new routine was, was established and uh, at least in my mind, you got to make sure you're in the right place and you could trust the place. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, and we were blessed because they were all loving people. And that uh, from that time on, I finally felt when I went to bed at night after all this was over that uh, she's in the right place. And I've done and my family has done everything that they can to make this right for her. And she's happy. And that was the biggest thing. Mm -hmm. They called her the rover. She liked to. She'd even go around and dust the tables and, you know, straighten things out and, you know, and help other ladies push them in the wheelchair. Or if they were new people coming in, she'd talk about how nice they're going to enjoy this and that. And, and it was just like a, another employee for them. And, uh, and the common thing around in this home was, where's Carol? That was because she's always taken off looking around in somebody's room or whatever. So we got a kick out of that. Yeah, so you got to see a little bit of her heart, who who she really exactly. is. Yes, during that time, that's good. So, is there more you shared with us about you know the role of the caregiver? Is there more you you want to share about that? Um, things that might be helpful to know as a caregiver. Well, we another gentleman who was in a similar situation as as I was um, as I yeah I was at that time. Uh, the two wives were actually initially at the same home. And uh, anyway, we got to be good friends and we get together once a month for lunch. And we decided what we have learned from this, because we get a lot of questions from other people about what to do. So we worked with Sanders Brown and we set up a 
caregiver group. And once a month we meet with them, tell them what to expect and answer any questions and that along with a social worker. And, and that's been a big part of, of helping ourselves by helping others. And uh, uh, his wife is still alive and is, is, uh, uh, is very happy where she's at. It's been hard for him because he hasn't been able to visit his wife because of the pandemic to any degree. So it's just that the caregiver needs the knowledge, has to have the knowledge of what this disease is and accept it. And of course, took, I was three years in denial and then finally all this started and, and uh, uh, we just pray to God that we will find the cure to this disease. And that's just something that uh, the caregiver, once they accept it, then can do something about it and help others. But as long as they realize they need help themselves. Yes. And, and as you mentioned to me earlier, there's no shame, no shame for the caregiver, no Mm -hmm. shame for um, the patient. Yeah. And, and that's, I'm surprised sometimes the amount of people that, that are ashamed by it. I mean, it is what life is now good face it and then get on with it. And, and you don't hide behind it. It's like mental illness today. You know, people are beginning to know more and more about mental illness and, and right away, it's not necessarily their fault. That's just the way it is. And now we make the best of it and, and try to find the answers to it, what's causing it. So. so you've been involved with the board of Sanders Brown. Tell me about that involvement and what, what's your main goal? If you get to know me, if I get involved in something, I'm either going to do it because I believe in it and it's going to get done or we're going to work hard to accomplish our goals or I'm not going to partake at all. And of course, Sanders Brown was an easy decision. I'm, I'm just now on two boards, the Heart Association in Central Kentucky, because back in 2002, I had quadruple bypass. And, uh, and now I kind of watch what I eat. I still go to the gym. Uh, and do many things. And then the other board, of course, is Alzheimer's, Sanders Brown. And uh, those two things help keep me alive. Plus, I'm still working at the baseball team um, and, and heading up their corporate sales. So it just, uh, those three things keep me active because it took me a while to get used to living alone. You know, we've been married almost 58 years and uh, and now it's just, me and Rudy, the dog, and he, uh, we both think we, well, I went to Notre Dame and he thinks he played football for Notre Dame. So all nine pounds, <laughs> four ounces of them, but that's my buddy. And uh, uh, I think that our goal with Sanders Brown really is to find a cure and, uh, and also to be available to people to explain what this disease is all about. Uh, right now there are 8 million people who've got uh who've got uh, dementia and it's going to be in 19 in 2040, there's going to be uh, 15 million people that are active in this disease. Uh, and it's hard to find the doctors because this isn't a glamorous disease and it's hard to find doctors with the backgrounds in order to treat the people. Uh, right now at, at Sanders Brown, there's uh, a total of 75,000 people in the state of Kentucky who've got Alzheimer's, dementia. 
and uh, and we've got uh, a waiting list. Uh, it's a 12-month waiting list to get into Sanders Brown. We are working for funds in order to build a new facility, so that will allow us to bring more of the talent of the researchers, of the workers that are there. Uh, we're limited in a 4,000 square foot place that's in a strip center next to uh, what was a grocery store and a pizza parlor. And in the middle of that is Sanders Brown. Sanders Brown, by the way, is known worldwide as the one of the best research centers in the world. A lot of it has to do because of the research they do, like, for example, my brain, uh, when they evaluate that and then store that from autopsies and all that, that's being used worldwide and they furnish the tissues in that so people can do the research to find the answers to this disease. So we're building a, a facility that'll be triple in the size, updated equip, equipment and that. And, and it's a fight to get the funding to do this. And finally, the board of trustees at the university uh, has granted the funds necessary they're matching funds, so we have to raise some money that they can match it. And uh, so we'll be able to get a proper research center here to bring in more talent and to, uh, to assist in this disease to hopefully someday find a cure. Uh, it just, uh, and that's our goal, and, and we're working on that every day. So, it, uh, and we've been blessed because there are friends out there that have been affected by this disease uh, that have contributed. We're uh, pretty close to uh, raising not quite three quarters of a million dollars and we got to get up to a million and a half to be matched. And then eventually over a five year period, there'll be a match all the way up to 5 million and that that will provide a good facility. We've got the, we know where we're going to build and uh, if, if we can get some donations and get that up to about uh, three quarters of a million dollars will break ground and keep going from there. So that's our immediate goal in our long ranges, find the cure for this disease. Yeah, that will make a, a lot of difference in, in a, to serve more people to, as you say, bring in more researchers, more doctors, and more people to, to help. So yeah, it's exactly. a great first step. As you said, you really commit to things. If you can, if you can do something well, you are all in. What's your philosophy on getting involved and supporting causes? Basically, uh, you might say I grew up on the wrong side of the tracks, and uh, I, I grew up in South Bend. Uh, my parents. Uh, uh, they didn't. We didn't have a lot. Uh, uh, we had some challenges uh, in our family and then uh, my mother was really a, a sainthood and so basically I've been blessed in that I've, I've been kind of a loner from that aspect and and really reached out and had a good group of friends all the way through uh, I even paid my way through a private high school where all my friends went so it just and then I was blessed in that uh, uh, I got a, uh, a partial scholarship to any college 
in the United States. And of course, living at home, it'd be easier and cheaper. So I went to Notre Dame. And of course, if you go there, part of the philosophy is, is helping others. So all the way through, it, it was just one of, if there was something there, all right, I'd, I'd be involved in it. That's the way I was brought up. And then uh, it seems that people always reached out to me and helped me along the way. Uh, I know my, my godparent helped also with me getting through, paying my way through school. For four years at Notre Dame, they expect you to, to basically not pass one class a semester. And then you get a lighter load at the end so you can pick it up then. Well, I, I was lucky enough to pass everything and I maintained the scholarship. But the first four semesters, basically, I went to school at eight. We had classes Monday through Saturday. So I worked or went to school eight to 3.30. I worked part time, got to the job at 3.50. Uh, worked to 6.30, got home at 6.45, uh, ate dinner, and then slept from 7 to 7.15, and then was uh, studied for classes four days a week to about 2, 3 in the morning. And I got a lot of help along the way in, uh, in doing that by getting the good jobs in there. Everyone adjusted their life so my, my schedule would fit in. So that's the way I was brought up. And then... Uh, and then when I was in the Army, when I was leaving, there was a, a colonel there that uh, uh, thought enough to write back to, uh, to where I was going to work at, at Sears and uh, sent the letter. And three weeks later, after getting back, I got promoted right away. Uh, I was a battalion adjutant personnel officer, so we were alerted for Vietnam, but I missed it by one week of going, uh, although I had to process all the people in uh, two companies to go over because we were petroleum depot and we had to put pipelines down. So that's just basically everyone helped me. And when the opportunity came, I tried to help them. And, uh, uh, and that's from, from day one on. And then when I got my, it was a big thing to get your own store. And uh, uh, I remember I was sitting in Milwaukee. I was a a personnel officer there for the Milwaukee group and got a call and to go see the vice president in Skokie, Illinois. And uh, uh, so I drove in right away and went up to his office. And uh, that's when he gave me my first store in Billings, Montana. But he told me, he said something to the effect that you live in the community, regardless how many times you get promoted or transferred, you're part of that community. The community supports us. Make sure you support them. And that's something I took with me on every one of my assignments. And, uh, uh, and that's, that's really the way that uh, uh, I was able to give back to everybody that was giving to me. So that was the way I grew up. Just because I graduated for, from Notre Dame, all I had was a piece of paper, and I knew that it's what I did with it uh, that would help. And uh, uh, I had to earn my own way. No one was going to do it for me. And uh, uh, But I was blessed with many opportunities uh, because of my background that allowed me to do those. So. Yeah. So what advice do you have for others? Mm. Do you have advice for others? 
Good question. Stephanie, good question. <laughs> Advice for others. Um, yeah. First, help others when you can. Not so much in telling them what to do, but telling them of your experiences so they can take that part out to help themselves. And I don't care what kind of world you're living in, the business world, entertainment, whatever. The biggest thing you can do then is, is by networking. Uh, once a year, I, I'm blessed in that Eastern Kentucky University, there's a professor there who has always asked me to teach one of their classes and I bring them out to the ballpark. And we talk about professional baseball uh, as a business. And then we go through that and a lot of them don't understand that business. Yes, it's great, but to put the business, to put the baseball games on what it takes to do that, the employees, the, the benefits, the payroll, the advertising, the marketing, the facility, you know, all of that, that goes in there in order to come down with, a, with this blessed number that's called a net profit and uh it's not everyone who gets a job there oh this is going to be great well, i'm going to have a lot of fun doing that well you will but there's a lot of work that it takes to get you to that point and giving them the understanding and then allowing them to ask questions about it when it gets into the business world and then the associations that you make and then i try to get it to a point where how this can relate to no matter what you do in life. So I, I get a kick out of that because uh, the youth of today, in spite of all the news that's out there, uh, there's some very, very good people that will will grow up and, and run the place someday and, uh, and they're not all bad. And uh, so I get a kick out of that, it keeps me young. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of heart out there. It just- yes. It's yes, a different package. It's a different approach for sure, but there's a, a whole lot of heart. So do you have any favorite quotes? Do you like well, any I quotes? thought of this right away. Yes, I do. It, uh, and this has followed me all along and it's called, it's very simple. You got to believe. That's it. You got to believe. And I've taken that into uh, all my various ventures, places that I've worked and all that. And, uh, and before you know it, everyone was believing in what they were doing. And then allow them to do it. You know, you give them the responsibility and the authority if you train them right. And then tell them to believe in themselves. And, uh, and it works. It's that simple. Just like we're going to build Sanders Brown new facility. You got to believe. And by the way, believe. show me the money. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Any, any closing thoughts that you have that you want to make sure to share? Well, you know, I didn't know what to make of this podcast. I didn't even know what it was. I had to call someone <laughs> and ask him. And uh, I feel good about this because I think that not what I said, but what you're trying to do with this type of program, uh, I think is very meaningful. And uh, I'm just privileged to, to be asked to do something like this. And if it helps just one person, well, great. Uh, 
that made it all worthwhile. Thank you. Well, Ron, I believe that you sharing your story and sharing Carol's story, I believe that that will help at least one person, but many, many more. And I'm, I'm honored that you um, spent time talking with me and allowing us to share that story widely. Um, You're a gift. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. A theme of my conversations with Ron was that he is and always has been available to go out of his way if it will help at least one person. As he mentioned, recording a podcast interview felt like a daunting excursion with technology, but he shared before we started that he would do it again if it meant one life was made better, a true servant leader among us. To learn more and support the Sanders Brown Center on Aging, go to sbcoa.med.uky.edu. If you enjoyed this story and others from the podcast, make sure to subscribe, rate, and review. Thanks for listening to The Good Around Us. Until next time.